If he'd read further back into 2 Samuel 7, we would have seen that David wanted to build a house for the Lord. But God prevented him because he had too much blood on his hands. Instead, instead of David building a house for the Lord, the Lord was going to build a house for David. It's a pun on the word house, which actually works in Hebrew and works in English as well. The house David wanted to build for the Lord was the temple. The house that the Lord was going to build for David was his dynasty. And so I want to build a temple for you. I will build a dynasty for you. But it all puns on the word house. So it was that Solomon was David's son. And he was the one through whom the dynasty of David, the house of David, was to be built. And he was the one that was going to build the house of the Lord, the temple in Jerusalem, and indeed did so. But Solomon is one of the most tragic figures of the Bible. He started so well. He had such wisdom, and he had all the blessings of God. When David had finished his reign, he was reigning from the Tigris-Euphrates Valley all the way across to the Mediterranean Sea, the full extent of the Middle East that God had promised they would one day reign over. And the Israelites were like the sand on the sea, just like the promises that God had made to Abraham. And he had wealth, and everybody lived in peace and safety and security, each under their own vine in their own house in the land. And yet Solomon turned his back on the Lord, turned his back and took foreign wives, and they turned his mind further away so that he worshipped false gods. And in the end, Solomon lost the house of the Lord in both senses of the word, not in his own lifetime, but in the future dynasty. The house of David was destroyed by Solomon. For the next generation, his son Rehoboam only retained the tribe of Judah and the other tribes went off with his servant Jeroboam and formed the house of Israel against the house of Judah. And the dynasty of David was lost when the Babylonians came and destroyed them and Jerusalem and the temple that Solomon had built. Psalm 127 is found on page 617. And it speaks about the house, the safe house, the building, the family, the dynasty. It speaks of this different ways of talking about the house. And Psalm 127, we read, is a song of a sense of Solomon. The phrase of Solomon doesn't necessarily mean he wrote it. It means it's about him or it makes you think of him or you should remember him. It's of Solomon that this psalm is. And so we have our introduction by reading and remembering Solomon and seeing Solomon here in this psalm to some extent. It speaks of the building. For a house is an important building for the safety and security that it brings to its occupants. Just as a city is built for community safety and security, with city walls all the way around to protect you, uh, the people living in tents, 
out in the wilderness, have no protection. Live in a house, you have protection. Live in a house in a city, you have real protection. And the sense of protection and safety can be seen in verse 1. For the house, the city, and the watchmen are referred to. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Uh, We live in such an isolated part of the world with such safety and security provided by occupying a whole continent and by having good police and, and army and navy and we don't feel the weight of insecurity of needing a watchman on our city and even yet we still have insecurity We set burglar alarms and have video cameras and we are locking up our front doors with great care to make sure that we're not robbed. There is still that sense that we have to have ourselves safe and secure because we can be invaded and attacked at any time. Yet the efforts we humans go to are the vain protection of anxiety and worry and work. So verse 2, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. We busy ourselves in our lives, working longer and longer hours to provide for a house that we never have time to enjoy. Our labour is anxious toil. And there's many a sleepless night as we worry about the bills and worry about the work and meeting our deadlines and getting paid and paying off the mortgage or paying off the rent or what happens if we were to lose our job. Yet we are never ultimately in control. The downturn in the market can hit any one of us at any time when suddenly the securities will become insecure and the investments will fail and we lose our job and we're not in the position to service our mortgage, it can happen to any of us at any time, really. So the theme of the first two verses is to remind us that it's the Lord who builds the house. It's the Lord who watches over us. It's the Lord who gives his beloved sleep. Verse 1 again, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stakes away in vain. At the end of verse 2, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I can plant, I can water, but unless the Lord gives the growth, nothing grows. Our labour is in vain. Without God's blessing our efforts in this world... All our work is a waste of time. Remember how in James chapter 4, he speaks of the arrogance of the businessmen who say, in the next year we will go to such and such a town and we will, we will trade and we will make profit. When in fact, you don't know whether you will have next year. You don't know whether you will see this night out to be able to trade and make profit. It's an assumption that your life is so secure that you can plan ahead. You can have your five-year plans and you can have your KPIs on the way through to your five. We live on this planning expedition all the time, but the stroke tonight may finish any of our planning. 
the heart attack this afternoon can finish in the car accident. We, we don't know when our time is. We should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and we will do that. But without the Lord's will, we will not do anything. The Lord does bless with houses built and with cities built and watching over us. We can get a good night's sleep without lying awake with anxiety. But without the Lord, none of these things are safe and secure. And if we have them without the Lord, we have a folly in our heart to think that we've done it ourselves. And so he turns to the other house, the family, that turns a house into a home and a building into an experience. For we read in verses 3 to 5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the lamb are re- uh, the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now right up front, let me be tell you that I have a problem of political correctness today. And it comes with the translation of whether we talk about children in verse 3 and in verse 4, or whether we talk about sons. Uh, Sometimes the word can be in a masculine to mean either sex. So when we talk about man, we can be talking about humanity, not a particular male. And I don't want to go through the down the trap of thinking or inferring or even employing, implying that boys are in any way more valuable than girls. But the word in the Hebrew is sons, not children. There are Hebrew words for children, and this is the word for sons. There's words for daughters, this is the word for sons. You see, the world has the horror, I think, of sex-determined abortions, where a disproportionate number of abortions are conducted on little girls because some cultures prefer boys to girls, and when they're given a choice, they'll abort girls. Let me make it perfectly clear. I think that that is an abomination. It's evil, pure and simple. It's an appalling genocide that future generations will call upon us and condemn us for accepting it as even a possibility, let alone the horrible reality that it has become. Furthermore, let me make it abundantly clear that I think any indication that a girl in any way is of less value, worth, delight and joy than a boy is an absolute disgrace. My daughters and my granddaughters are part of the very joy of living for me and I would never favour my sons or grandsons over them. However, the Hebrew word is actually sons and I think in this context it matters. For when he says sons in verse 3, sons are a heritage from the Lord, they are both a heritage and a reward in the second half of verse 3. He's saying God is being very kind to any of us when we have the privilege of bringing sons into the world, 
He's not saying that there's not an equal blessing in bringing daughters into the world. He's not discussing daughters. He's just discussing the blessing of having sons. Indeed, a quiver full of the arrows as he imagines the sons to be. For sons are like arrows, arrows in the hand of a warrior. And to have a quiver full of arrows is what a warrior needs. And having them in your youth is of terrific advantage. For blessings is the, are the children of your youth, your sons of your youth, because they mean protection in your old age. For who will attack a man who has a bunch of young men to stand and protect him, to defend him? Daughters do all kinds of things, but they're not the arrows in the hands of the warrior protecting their father and their grandfather. Uh, One of my daughters has six children. Uh, Five are sons and one is my granddaughter. Recently at show and tell time at her school, her class was asked to bring along and to tell the class about their collectibles. Shells or photos or stamps or cars or jewellery or whatever it was they collected. My granddaughter doesn't collect anything. But she was not put out by it in the slightest. When it came to her turn, she just stood up and told them that she collected brothers. For she has five of them which nobody else in the class has. In the playground, in fact, nobody will ever pick on her. For she's the girl with all the brothers. That's how she's known around the school. She's the girl with all the brothers. An old man with a heap of sons is not going to be picked on by anybody. And so he'll be speaking without shame in the public square, in the gate of the city where the business of life used to be carried out because the gate was not just a kind of a swinging thing. The gate was a a building in which you passed through the walls and that's where the men would meet and discuss all the affairs of life and the old men would put the world to rights as old men are wont to do. In that kind of gate in the city, he would talk even to his enemies without fear or favour for he has his quiver full of arrows to protect him. You see, the house and the city and the watchman are all built for protection for somebody. But better still was a batch of sons in your youth. Even these, though, are the gift of God and the work of the Lord that you would have them. So with David's house, God promised that he would build a house for David, and that is what he did. His son Solomon inherited it from him and ruled over the whole of what we would call the Middle East, Southwest Asia. And yet, he turned from the Lord and the house was divided and destroyed. And Solomon died. The house was divided between Rehoboam and Jeroboam and that division was never overcome. Centuries later, the northern tribes that followed Jeroboam were destroyed by the Assyrians, and then another hundred years, the southern tribes that followed Rehoboam were destroyed by the Babylonians, who destroyed not only the dynastic house of David, but also 
the house that Solomon had built, the temple of the Lord. For the true son of David, who was great David's greater son, was not Solomon, but Jesus. He was the one that David called his Lord, even though he was his son. He was the son of David who David looked forward to, even though he wouldn't come for another thousand years. He was the son who would build the house in three days that would last forever. For he was the son who would die for our sins and rise again on the third day to bring to us and to bring to David the kingdom that would reign forever. Psalm 128 speaks of the house of blessing. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Here is a psalm that is full of blessings. The joy of knowing the Lord and the advantage in life of being one of his people. Firstly, there's the blessing of labor. That is given to you, whoever you are, who fear the Lord. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and not to fear the Lord is the essence of folly. And it's those who fear the Lord who will walk in his ways, as it says. And it is in walking in his ways that we will find the blessing, and the person who fears him will walk in his ways. The blessing that is first mentioned there is that of labor. Not that we have labor, though that of course is a great blessing from God and we mustn't take it for granted. But the blessing is that our labour will achieve its purposes. That, as our translation puts it, we will eat the fruit of our labour. For there's something sweet, very sweet and enjoyable about the benefits of what we have done with our own hands. The Greek despised labour, despised working with their hands. For the Greek, you were, you were low class if you had rough hands. Being an upper-class, educated, sophisticated person, you had slaves to do the manual labour. You never did anything with hard hand. Whereas the Hebrew, the Old Testament, no, no, they were farmers. They worked with their hands. And the blessing of your hands was the work of God. For your hands were given to you to work, and God has given us the work to do, and God will bless the work so that we will benefit from what we are doing. It's not all that different, in a sense, from the opening of Psalm 127, isn't it? That it's as the Lord blesses our work that our work is blessed. If the Lord doesn't bless the building of the house, well, the house won't be blessed. But if the Lord does build, then our house blessed, then our house and our work will be blessed. We work with our hands, but the outcome is the work of God. Then again, similarly to Psalm 127, the second blessing is the blessing of family. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. 
It sounds a little agricultural to talk about your wife as a fruitful vine, doesn't it? It's a slightly, seemingly crude description of your wife. But the blessing of children is and always has been seen in the Bible as just that, a blessing to enjoy. It's the atheists of our land and the materialists in their self-centeredness who have made children something to be spurned. There is a website that you can go onto called the Child Free Zone where you can join in and be one of the people who enjoy having nothing to do with children and find where you can go where children are not allowed to go so that you can enjoy life properly. But when you check out the child-free zone, you'll see that those who are on it, those who are members of it, those who organise it are all atheists. They don't believe in other people because they don't believe in God. Some years ago, to the amazement of the Bureau of Census and Statistics, they discovered that the women who had the lowest rate of children in Australia were in Melbourne. Immediately I agreed with this uh, statistic, whether I knew anything about it or not. Anything that's negative about Melbourne, I always believe. It was about Melbourne, and it was uh, university graduates from Melbourne who were atheists. That didn't surprise, for it's the blessing of God to have children. See, Mother's Day, Father's Day were both created by the Americans a hundred years ago. Uh, There was Mothering Sunday before in England, but Mother's Day, Father's Day was created by Americans, but not just by Americans, it was created by Christian Americans. Quite independently of each other, Christian Americans who started them off in church. They were church functions because Christians love family, because God creates us in family and one of the greatest agonies that people endure is childlessness fertility problems can be as heartbreaking as any problem that you come across people will go to great lengths to have a child even this dreadful surrogacy from Thailand that we've been dealing with in the last month or so in public debate shows the extent that people will go in order to have a child So the blessing is that you will have wife and children, a wife whose fertility brings many children into the world, into your home, filling your life with other people to love for and to care and to enjoy and to provide for. They will be like olive shoots around your table. Olive trees were very popular in Israel. They are great signs of prosperity, wealth, fertility. Uh, They are very fruitful, but also they live long. The very old trees. There are olive trees that we know of over a thousand years old. Some of the oldest trees are olive trees. And olive trees, even when they're not as old as that, still look old. They are gnarled and and twisted and turning kind of trees if you've watched an olive tree. And native olive trees grow from seed, but the cultivated olive trees are cultivated out of the young shoots that grow up around the roots of the old tree. And so here is the old man and here are the shoots growing up around him. It's a, an image that's not that hard to grasp if you've watched how olive trees grow and how the shoots grow. And so you grow old and twisted and gnarled like an olive tree, but the young energetic shoots of your next generation 
are right at your feet and around about you all the time. And so your future is established and secure. And again, this is the blessing of the man who fears the Lord, for it is walking God's way that leads you into this marriage and children and stability to see the next generation. But more than that, this is thirdly the blessing of Zion, verse 5. Blessed is the man, whoops, verse 5. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. For when the people entered the promised land, it was to live as God's people, settled permanently in the land that was God's land. God's people, God's nation in God's land. Thus having children was a key part of the blessings of salvation. For as they lived in the promised land, so they passed ownership of the promised land on to the next generation and to the next generation, sharing the blessings of salvation with their children and their grandchildren. To die without children in Israel was to be cut off from the promised land. To lose your inheritance of salvation, to be cut off from the people of God. The great curse of God for the people of Israel was to die without children for then you would no longer be part of the people of God enjoying the land of the promise that God had given so the blessing of your labor being effective and having your children in the promised land was a blessing that came from Zion the city that the hill upon which Jerusalem was built and so the prayer is that you would see the prosperity of Jerusalem all your life. For that would mean God's people at rest in God's land. For if Jerusalem should fall, be besieged, be ransacked, then all God's people would be in danger and the eviction out of the promised land would be very likely. Pity. Pity the pregnant women at this time. Pity those with small children at this time, said Jesus. For the vulnerable in wartime are the widows and the orphans and those with young olive shoots around their table whom they have to carry off as refugees. And so pray for the peace upon Israel that you do not see the terrible times of civil war or conquest. Does not your heart ache for those poor refugees that we see on our television every night now fleeing the conflict of the Islamic slate? And who do you see as they walk and tramp with their few possessions across the roads but mothers and small children and poor men? So we pray for the prosperity in Jerusalem, for the peace of Israel, that you may enjoy the blessings of a fruitful wife in your home with children and sons and grandchildren and great-grandchildren it could be. But we must remember as we Christians read this psalm that their blessing and ours are not exactly the same. For them the blessing of God was connected with a physical reality they were going through. Living as God's nation in God's land, living in the city of Jerusalem, living as the people of God there. It's not for us. We're drawn from every tribe, language and nation, not just from Israel, not to form a 
a, a new nation, but to form a kingdom of priests to serve our Lord and King, not simply in this earth, but for eternity. And so our blessings are the spiritual blessings that have been given to us in Christ Jesus. The spiritual blessings of election and adoption, of predestination and redemption, of knowing the plan of God to unite all things under the Lord Jesus Christ, not just in this age, but also in the resurrection age, where we are not concerned with Palestine and real estate, for we are the citizens of heaven, and where we're not concerned about children, for we're not going to die again. But in the resurrection we'll be like the angels, neither marrying nor given in marriage, for we will not be having children in heaven. That's another state of life. Our blessings are of a different character. But the kindness and blessings of God that were there for Israel, we can see and understand. And as long as we're in this world and this age, we can appreciate and enjoy, though we know for eternity we have something greater in store let's pray heavenly father we thank and praise you for the lord jesus christ we thank you father for the children that he brings with him into your blessing for us whom he has brought to rebirth through the gospel of the lord jesus christ we thank you for the joys that we can have in this lifetime the joys of work and labour and seeing the fruit of our hands, the joys of family life and the joys of stability and security and safety. We thank you for the way you bless our endeavours in this world as we seek to live for you here and now. We praise you for these things, Father. But if these are so great as the blessings we give thanks to you, we thank you even more for the greater blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus, where we join not just with a human family, but with your family, your heavenly family, where we know our brothers and sisters and we know you as our Father and can rejoice with you, not only in this lifetime and not just in Palestine, but for eternity in your city. And we praise you for this privilege of knowing something far, far greater than these wonderful blessings because it comes in the name of your son amen